microphone. Here comes a man with a microphone. Oh, here comes a woman with a microphone. I can speak really loudly if I need to. Um, so when we're going through, uh, I just have like a note. Uh, you kind of hit on uh, the power of prayer, and uh, some things I was thinking about is like when God doesn't answer and why that is. Mm. And one of the big things I was thinking of was what, that we're praying wrongly and we're not right in heart. What are some things we can think about and dig into the word to identify our motivations kind of and where they come from and if they're actually, if we're praying rightly, I guess you huh. could say. Well, the, the good news, we'll get, let's, let's start from the ground up. Um, we're frequently playing, praying not rightly in a sense. In Romans 8, Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And, and it's not that we're playing, praying sinfully. God sees all, and he knows all, and he thinks perfectly. We don't see remotely all, and we don't think perfectly. So even we could have the same desires for good things, for things that are good, and yet because we don't see the big picture, and because we don't think perfectly, what we think is helpful and appropriate may not line up with what he knows is best. Um, that doesn't mean as he doesn't want us to come to him with our requests. I want my kids to come to me. I, it, it pleases me. It gives me joy when my kids ask for things. Even what they're asking for is, no, if I just give you candy, it'll <laughs> ruin your teeth and you won't grow. Like, no, of course, you got to eat real food. Sorry. Well, why do we even ask you if you don't give us what we ask for? Well, frequently I do give them what they ask for. And it still pleases me they come to me even when they don't realize that candy as a diet isn't healthy, right? Like, it's not like they're necessarily being wicked and asking. They just don't know that. So here's an example where I know more than they know, and so I say no to them. I, I think it's similar. God, God is, according to Ephesians 1.11, working all things according to his will. And the Apostle Paul um, wrestles with this very dilemma in Romans. Go, go to Romans 9. Let me... In Romans 9, where Paul deals with the apparent failure of Israel, he begins by expressing his great anguish over that and his prayer. And a prayer that is at least, as he's writing it, largely unanswered. So in Romans 9.1, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So there's Paul's prayer request. God, save Israel, national Israel, my countrymen. Now, there are a couple thousand Jews who believed at Pentecost. The first generation of the early church was Jewish, but by and large, the Jewish nation does not come to faith, Right? You with me so far? So, so here's Paul's prayer, and God says, at the very least, not now, right? And it causes anguish and sorrow. And this is not an anguish and a sorrow that Paul thinks, well, then I need to repent because I'm wrong. This is the first thing. Just because the things you're praying for aren't being answered, you don't necessarily feel bad about it. It, it can be like the child saying, well, Dad must know something better. Because where Paul's going to get to, his answer is going to be, if he turn to uh, 11 that this is partly by design. So look at Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. 
For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people before new. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, demolished your altars, and I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what does God reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who are, have not bowed the knee to Baal. So the, Paul's first answer is, well, he hasn't. There are still Jews who are coming to faith, but still, by and large, they haven't. He gets on to the second bit then, um, here. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel obtained it. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. The rest were hardened. So where Paul's going to go to is this. He's going to say, here's, here's what happened. Because Israel stumbled, because, and by stumbling he means rejected their Messiah and did not believe. That has, in turn, opened up the gospel going to the Gentiles. And that end result is better. That's, that's where he's going to go. So follow the logic with me. Verse 11. So do they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. So that's where he says, that's not the end of the story. Um, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Which is to say, God knows what he's doing. And God, what he's doing is good. So Paul's just looking at my countrymen, my people, my um, my tribe, if you will. They're not trusting in Christ, and consequently they're heading for wrath and destruction. And God says, but through that, the gospel is opening up to the Gentiles. That's God's plan in that. Um, verse 12, now, he's going to argue from the lesser to the greater, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, which is another way of saying because they rejected Jesus, the Gentiles get greatly blessed as the gospel goes out to them. How much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in so much as I'm an apostle for the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first proofs is whole, it goes on. But he makes it clear God ultimately plans to, to graft them back in. He's going to use the agricultural metaphor of, of um, grafting limbs into a tree. Verse 17, if some of the branches are broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishment of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then they will say, branches are broken off, that I may be grafted in. So that is true. They're broken off because of unbelief, but you stand firm through faith. So his point is, God cut these branches off because of their unbelief, and he's grafted in some new branches. But, verse 22, now then note the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they... If they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off by what is, from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivative olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? And now he answers his own question. So his own question is, God, why? Why is this happening to Israel? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel 
will be saved. As it's written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Um, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all the disobedience that all may receive mercy. So here's his answer. Israel's rejection of Christ is part of God's plan to bring the gospel to the Gentiles and then ultimately come back around and bring Israel to faith and thus saving both groups. And so even though Paul begins with his request saying, I am in unceasing anguish, look at verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that it might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. So here's, I know that's a long sort of aside, but here's, here's what I think I'm trying to get at. Paul is both able to do two things, express his anguish and his unanswered prayer. I, I really want, and what he wants is a good thing. It's not like, well, Paul, you just want a Humvee. He's like, no, I want my countrymen to believe in the Messiah, and I'm tore up about it. And he's able to say that without any shame, without any acknowledgement that some weakness on his part or some immaturity on his part, and he can acknowledge God's got a good plan And that plan is wise. Now, it is possible that we pray for things and we don't get them simply because what we're asking is wrong. But it's also possible to pray for good things and God's plan's even better. And we just don't know what's going on. And so, frequently people ask me, this seems good. I've asked for it. It didn't happen. What's going on? I don't know. But if we did know, I think we'd respond the same way Paul responds here. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now, James 4, if you want to turn there, gives us the other side. Certainly, sometimes prayers aren't answered because we're asking for the wrong things or for the wrong reasons. So in James 4, he says this. I could actually turn to James instead of John. That'd be good. Um, James 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire, and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Do not have, because you do not ask. You ask, and you do not receive, because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. So, when our prayers go unanswered, there's at least two options of what could be going on. We could be praying either for the wrong thing, or for the wrong motive. Right? If I want the new position, because I want everyone, if I want uh, some, some achievement, because what I really want is people to know how smart or good I am. That's a wrong reason, right? If I'm, if I'm praying, God help me win the sporting match. There's, there's one on tonight, right, I've heard? Okay. But the only reason I want that is because I want the glory, well, I'm asking for the wrong reason, and it may be, that may be why God doesn't answer it, right? Um, so it's possible I can want the right thing for the wrong reason. I could also just want the wrong thing. Lord, help me find some cheap drugs. Right? That's just the wrong thing. Forget the reason. So you can want the right thing for the wrong reason, 
right? You can, you can uh, the Bible says whoever finds a wife finds a good thing, but you could want a wife for the wrong reasons. I want to find someone who will just serve me and meet my every need. Okay, that's kind of selfish, you know? You can want a, the right thing for the wrong reasons. You can want the wrong thing, and that'll always be for the wrong reasons. You'll never want the wrong thing for the right reasons. You can also want a good thing for a good reason, like we see in Romans 9, and still God knows better. So I think, so how do you tell the difference? I think that when, when your heart is burdened with something and you're laboring in prayer over it, and God's not answering, I think, I think it's probably a good time to say, okay, God, am I asking for the wrong things? It's not necessarily a guarantee you are. I know people who've prayed for the salvation of loved ones for years, decades, before God answers those prayers. So the answer might be, keep going, not now. Keep, keep, keep asking, keep, keep praying. Or no, it may be, you know, you're, you're, it, it, it may be that, no, you're asking for the wrong things. There's no simple way. How do you do it? You seek counsel. You, you seek the word. Are the things I'm asking for lining up with God's word and his revealed will? Um, and... and and seeking counsel on those things. So you ask a complicated question. There's no simple answer. Well, there's no simple answer to because it could be a number of things. You could be wanting a wrong thing. You could be wanting a right thing for the wrong reason. You could be wanting a right thing for the right reason, and God's got something even better. Or you could be asking for the very thing God plans on doing. And yes, go. Off of that, is there some kind of standard just beyond... Uh, getting to know the Bible more, where we can look at and investigate our motives to see, because a lot of times I feel like, uh, especially in my own life, I might be asking for something uh, and kind of almost deceiving myself, like, oh, this is a good thing, and I want it because it's a good thing, but in reality it could be selfish, and I just haven't really delved into it. Is there some kind of standard or something we can go to specifically, I guess I could say, uh, to check our motivations and dig into them, like, hey, is this meeting up with First Corinthians? whatever, and it's just kind of like, okay, am I really asking for the right reasons, or is ultimately my motivation wrong or sinful? There's no short answer to that. I think sometimes the very act of asking, getting your answers is the way you find out, because um, the heart's deceitfully wicked. So like, let's, say, let's, say I'm, uh, let's say I'm praying for, let's think of something I've prayed for recently. Let's, let's say I'm praying for the, the health of our twins. So far, God's been answering that prayer. Praise God, right? Um, let's say the next appointment we find out something's wrong, right? Um, par- partly I'm going to find out my motives in those prayers. Is it selfless? Is it a desire for those kids? Or there's a simple fact that having kids without complications is easier on me, right? I guess we'll find out how I respond. If I get angry... I raise my fist at God. If I um, run from him, probably is an indication that what I was asking for wasn't for the right reasons. If, if like David, I just redouble my prayers. I think David with the child, David pleads with God all night for the life of that child who was struck sick. If the response is that, that's a good indicator. The heart's deceptive and wicked. It's hard to know the motives of my heart. And even when there are good motives present, I'm sure there are bad motives present. I mean, I've said this before. When I prepare a message, I hope and trust there are good motives there. There's no way to get around the fact that part of me cares what people think. 
And part of me cares whether I sounded eloquent. Now, I can try to pray against that. I can try not to pay attention to that. But I can't turn that off. So even with good motives, bad motives are present. So even in things like studying the Bible, I know my motives are mixed. So I think sometimes it, it simply will find out. I think my motives are right. We'll find out <laughs> by how we respond. I, mean, I do this as a parent with my kids all the time. Oftentimes, I'll, I'll give my child um, an answer, and how they respond to a hard answer will actually be how I further respond. If my son wants something, I say no, and he takes it on the chin, and he's like, okay. And he doesn't lose it, and he doesn't cry, and he doesn't flip out. I may well say, okay, maybe we can loosen this up. Conversely, sometimes you'll test the waters. You know, can, I, can I play with your iPod for a minute? No, and the kid like, starts crying. For, yeah, that was the right call. <laughs> he wanted that way too much and for the wrong reasons. In fact, you can't see an iPod for like the next two weeks if that's how you're going to get upset about it. No, in other words, sometimes the no reveals their own idolatry. So Alex wants to weigh in, but I mean, you can compare it with Scripture. You can seek counsel. Sometimes it's even just in getting the answer that you find... I thought my motives were right, and then God said no. Be- before you talk, Alex, I'll, I'll say one thing Stuart Scott said in one of my classes that stuck with me. One of the ways you can tell an idol in your life is, will you sin to get it? Will you sin if you don't get it? Will you sin to keep it? And sometimes we don't find out those things till God takes things from us or God says no, and then all of a sudden you realize, wow, I guess I really wanted that for some wrong reasons <laughs> because I was totally willing to sin to keep that. Or I would definitely sin if I didn't get that. And I don't know if we can even know that in ourselves till it happens. You know, um, Go, Alex. So I, I want to follow up more on your statement with there's, there's probably some type of like evil among all the good. Yeah. Like there's probably down at the core still some type of evil. But it's not, at the end of the day, our job to go try to dig down as hard as we can to find what that one little grain yep, is. And you, I agree. You see um, Paul, First uh, Corinthians 4, um, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by mm-hmm. any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. And yep. so, Oh, no, no. I, I'm not saying we should sit around and do that. I can just, it'll pop its head up every now and then, and I'll be like, I wonder how many people have listened to the podcast this week. I'm like, stop it! You know, um, 15 if you want to know. So, um, and, no, but when that pops its head up and you spot it and you're like, that's not good, then you're aware it's there. I completely agree. You can get into this sort of downward spiral of navel, navel gazing where you're like, is there anything else in there? Yeah, th- that's not going to be healthy or helpful. But I also want to say that because sometimes you'll hear people say things that I'm like, they can't really mean what they say. All I want to do is serve the Lord. No. I mean, you don't really mean that. I know what you mean. You mean a lot of me wants to, but you can't really. I, mean, I would never, to quote R.C. Sproul, you haven't loved the Lord your God with all your soul and all your heart and all your mind for five straight seconds in your life. Like, no, none of us have. Come on. Um, and and so, so part of it's just to say, look, what sometimes people will do is they'll find a good motive and they'll assume that's all that's there. So part of what I'm trying to say is even with there, probably there's some other motives too. Our motives are complicated. Don't try to sort it all out because the heart's deceitful. Who can know it? Well, I'm going to know it. No, you're not. You're going to get lost. When the Lord shows you something in your heart, pay attention, take note. But yeah, don't go diving in that muck trying to sort everything out. Good luck. It's, it's tricksy. So, that, so there's that's yes, amen. 
Stacy's going to dive in here now. Matthew, I'm just thinking of a practical answer to your question. And Jeremy always encourages us when we come to prayer or even time before the word to go to Psalm 119 and ask that God would open our eyes to behold wondrous things. And so when you were asking your question, I was thinking about Psalm 139 and just maybe a way that we can begin our prayer if we want to um, understand where there might be um, uh, a lack of understanding or just you know false motives, desires, is just to pray Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way mm-hmm. everlasting. Just trust that God would reveal that to all of us. Yeah, that, that's, that's a model we get. Just ask, God, if there's something amiss in my motives, would you show me? That's a great prayer to ask. There's a hand over Greg, Mr. Sweet. That's my um, <clears throat> observation with uh, <clears throat> with you, Jeremy. There's no easy answer to any of our questions. <laughs> Fair enough. Short answer. Fair, yeah, there's, uh, no, there's very few short answers. This is true. But what I was going to say to Matthew is oftentimes with us, we, we have a problem A that we talk to God about and, and we have a solution B. And we watch for B to happen mm. or not happen. And we say, after a while, well, God didn't answer my prayer uh, because B hasn't happened. Uh, and we, that can be a very discouraging thing, of course. Never mind that God had answer C that mm. he has already done. Mm. And, and we're continually, continuing to look for B and, and eventually give up on it because... We just missed it completely that God did answer our prayer, perhaps in a better way or perhaps in a different way uh, than, than we were expecting or thought we were desiring uh, because he knows better than us, just as you know better than Abner what he should eat and, right, and right. so forth and so on. Yeah. But it's just a very simple thing sometimes that we, we have, we're so, refi- or so specific in what we expect God's answer needs to be that we miss it completely. And, and don't recognize that, yes, he's interacting with us. He did answer. He did know my prayer. He did hear it. He did respond, and we just missed it. All right. Yeah, absolutely. And then the point I want to make is I think it's good when our prayers aren't answered to ask, Lord, is something going on in my heart? But at the same time, something you said in your question I want to make clear as well, just because God hasn't answered your prayer immediately doesn't mean you're necessarily doing anything wrong. The example of Romans 9 is, is the other one. Like Paul's not saying, I totally goofed in asking for God to save my countrymen. Like, I don't want, otherwise, otherwise you'll end up with a new guilt. Like, God didn't answer my prayers, I did something wrong. Oh, you know, I don't want to make, put that as a burden on somebody either. So yeah, you go through like, Lord, is this because I'm asking for the wrong thing for the wrong reason? Would you show that to me? And I think those are the types of prayers God shows us. I've, you know, when people generally like show me where I'm displeasing you, I don't, I'm not aware of anywhere in the Bible God says, "Well, if you have to ask, I can't tell you." <laughs> he he shows that, you know. So I so that's a a fine thing to do, but then don't chase your tail if nothing comes up. Okay, then maybe this is a wait or keep going or whatever, and seek some counsel from someone else potentially, and just keep asking. You know, one of the other things Jesus makes clear is God's not bothered by our prayers. 
So don't feel guilty asking for things that God keeps saying no to. Keep on asking. I mean, the, the example of the persistent widow, of the neighbor who needs some food for his guest. I mean, the whole picture there is just keep on knocking. So even when God says no, it's I'm thinking of Second uh, Corinthians where he asks for the thorn of his flesh to be taken away. He stops because God actually tells him why the answer is no. I mean, don't, don't miss that. So he said, three times I asked the Lord to take it away from me, but he answered, my grace is sufficient for you. So that's not something we're supposed to figure out. In that case, God tells Paul no, and so Paul stops precisely because God tells him no and says, and here's why. And Paul's like, oh, well, in that case, I'll glory in my weakness. But it wasn't something Paul just had to sort of intuit and figure out. Yes. Quick question on that. I think you kind of answered it, but with, um, you said, like, if we pray and ask God, you know, search my motives, you know, show me if there's anything wrong here that I'm pretty sure that God answers those, God loves to answer those prayers. Um, is that also the kind of thing that he might not answer right away, do you think? Like, is it, if I pray that and five seconds later, I'm like, well, he didn't show anything to me, so I guess it's all good. No, no, no. Well, if you think about it, God is always, like any parent does, um, God is revealing, putting his finger on, putting light on things he wants us to change a little at a time. If he showed us all, I think we'd all just give up and quit. Um, And so just like I've got a huge list of things I want my children to grow into and things I want them to stop doing, things I want them to start doing, I want to shape and form them um, into young men, young women, and, you know, we're working on like reading Zadok right now. You know, like we're not working on algebra. Um, or if there's some negative behavior, we're working on one thing. And God does the same thing. I'm guessing for most of us, there's, you know, one, two, three, four, five things probably at most that it's really clear God's highlighted. Hey, that. Now, that's not a prayer necessarily, like you said, he's going to answer in five seconds. But if you're praying that with some consistency, I'd expect to see it. And my point would be, and until you see it, keep acting, assuming you're okay. Like, Lord, this seems good to me. This thing we're praying for seems good. It seems good to all of us. Um, you're not answering it yet, but we're, you haven't shown us any wrong motives on our part. So we're just going to keep on asking like that persistent widow. We're going to keep on knocking like that importune neighbor till you show us otherwise. That, that's what I would do. You know what I mean? Because you've got those models and examples of just be persistent, be bold. Give me justice, you know, just keep. And, and if God wants to say, like he does to Paul, stop, my grace is sufficient for you, well then, good. Or if he shows you some other way that, that's clear, you know, but, but I just would keep asking for it. I wouldn't be like, well, maybe this is some twisted motive of mine. If you've asked and you're not seeing it, I'd assume, no, we'll just keep being bold and persistent. Sarah. So this is more of a comment than a question, but... I've found that in my own prayer life, um, I tend to come to God with, this is what I want to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, I get frustrated and think, well, this, the answer's obviously no. But your message today encouraged me that there's so much more that God can be doing in a situation right. beyond what I think or no. Mm-hmm. And it could be that the answer wasn't A or B, but it's some other answer that I haven't even comprehended yet. Yeah. And so, Matthew, um, to encourage you with your prayers, it may be that God hasn't said no to your prayer. It may be that God is answering it in a way that you just haven't imagined yet. 
That's what Craig said. He's just ripping you off, Greg. That's right. No. Oh, no, and another follow-up question would be, okay, God, since you're not right now doing what I ask, could you show me what you are doing? Like, that, that's, I think, helpful as well at times. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we don't get to see behind the curtain very often, um, but every time we do, God is manifoldly good. And so for me, trusting that God knows what he's doing in the times where I don't know what's going on it's made a whole lot easier by remembering the times he lets us peek behind the curtain. Let me give you one example. Um, shortly after becoming a Christian, I was working a job that was not a career job. It was uh, low pay, and it was, it was barely making ends meet at the Margate. And um, I went off to, what was the name of that conference in Boston? Do you remember, Mom? It was a conference in Boston, a Christian conference. And somebody had told me that there was like a whole auditorium full of Christian ministries. And I somehow got it into my head. I'm going to go into ministry and God's going to show me where I'm going to ministry when I go to this conference. And I confidently told everyone at work this. You got an idea where this is going, huh? Uh, and, um, and so I go off to the conference and I discovered what many people I'm sure discovered, which is that not many ministries are looking for untrained young people. Uh, they're looking for donations, and they're looking for people with skills. And so as zealous as I was as a, hey, I've been a Christian for three months. I want to go into ministry. They're like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I came back kind of crestfallen to find out that my work had given all my hours away because I'd told them I'm probably not coming back. <laughs> and... and um, and I remember being really discouraged for a couple of months, saying, God, what on earth are you doing? I want to serve you. My motive, I mean, and I would say my motives are all good as far as I knew them. Now, there was a certain part of me that, even as I tell this story, liked the priority and the romantic nature of being called and the, sort of the, the prestige of that. I'm highlighting it as I tell it, but I don't think that was a huge driving force. I think it was partly going on. I'm, I'm kind of lighting it up here. But what happened is I went from barely making ends meet to like not making ends meet. And as a consequence, I was eating more meals at my mom's house, doing more laundry at my mom's house, and spending a whole lot more time with my dad in the last few months of his life. And I remember this clicking home to me after he died because he had given me, a, uh, for Christmas, a book called How to Beat Your Dad at Chess. And my dad was a quadriplegic. He had some use of his hands. And um, he wrote on the inside of the cover, it has been so good to see so much of you these last few weeks and months. And oh, I'm not going to get choked up. Hold on. I might, but we'll see. Um, and I remember that hitting like a ton of bricks. I was asking God for this thing that seemed like a good thing. And my motives, by and large, were fine. There's definitely a certain pomposity to them. Um, but God was giving me something way better. Like, hey, why don't you get to spend a lot of time with your father in the last few months of his life? And in that context, that's when my father came to a profession of faith. Um, and sure enough, God planned, at least in this one story, Matthew, God planned that I would go into ministry. And here I am. Ta -da, you know. But first, there was going to be the lean months of doing my laundry at my mom's house, eating meals at my mom's house to spend a lot of time with my dad. And so... 
I, I don't know what always is taking place, but the few times I do get to see behind the curtain are so convincing to me that when God says, hey, trust me that I know what I'm doing over here, and I don't get to find out now what he's doing, it's easier for me when I remember those things to say, okay. And I think the ultimate example would be the cross. Like, can you trust that I know what I'm doing and I love you and I have your good in, in, in my mind? And you look to the cross and you say, okay, yes. Because, I mean, ultimately, that issue, can I trust God that he knows what he's doing, goes back to the garden, right? What's the serpent's temptation? He doesn't have your best interests at heart. He's keeping something good from you. That's, that's the temptation. Don't trust him. He's not got your best interest at heart. Here's this good thing, and he's kind of a jerk for not giving it to you. And so we, we need to remind ourselves the Bible is replete with stories where God is seen to be good, even in difficult circumstances. I mean, Job never finds out what's really going on. We do. There's no, no, there's no awareness that Job ever finds out about the discussion between God and Satan that we get in chapter 1 and 2. So we see, oh, that's what's going on. Um, and we know that Job's suffering and God's faithfulness in it encouraged and is encouraging millions upon millions of God's people. I'm fully convinced that Job in heaven right now is satisfied with that explanation. I don't think he's like, well, I think it could have been improved upon. But there's no reason to think in his life he ever knew what was going on. So... Um, Part, part of it is just trusting that God knows what he's doing and saying, okay, I'm going to have to believe you've got good purposes. If you're not going to give me the thing I'm asking for, can I see what you're doing? Could you let me see what you're doing? I think that's a fine prayer to ask as well. We are over time. We can talk some more if you want afterwards, but I'll let you all go. I'll thank you all and enjoy your sporting activities tonight.